FASWA is a podcast about Bigfoot. It's recorded for the skeptics, the believers, the knowers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. For more information, visit saswhat.com. This is Sasswet, a podcast about Bigfoot. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Seth Breedlove. I'm joined tonight by my pal, Mark Matsky. Greetings from Southeast Ohio, but not for long. Oh, spoiler. Life spoiler. Life spoiler. <laughs> exactly. Uh, are you are you comfortable talking about that? You guys are making a big move. Yeah, we're making a big move. Yeah. The commute to Sasswet Towers was getting to be too much. A killer. For me personally, so. well, you you came in every day kind of sweaty and uh, from running because you you ran all the way up from Zanesville, um, and I just I felt bad, so you know I I was like, listen, I'm gonna buy you uh, just a, a mansion with all the small town monsters money I make. I'm gonna yes. buy you a mansion nearby, um, so you can the the commute isn't quite as bad. Right, everything's signed in there. Every poster is. Mm-hmm. Signed by Seth Breedlove. It's kind of egotistical. Weird, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's a statue of me too, which is also kind of <laughs> odd. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, no, for real. You guys are making a yeah. Your family's making a huge move. Yep, yep, huge move up to Northeast Ohio, and uh, brand new life, new year, uh, new church home for us. So it's going to be. Um, you know, I, we're excited about it. We're really knee-deep in packing and all that good stuff. But the light's at the end of the tunnel, so we are working hard to make it happen. Right. And, uh, and how this affects Sasswet, it probably won't. I don't think we're going to... Like, I think this is pretty much our recording setup and how we record the show. Because mm-hmm. um, despite our jokes, we are, we are not actually together when we record. But... Um, yeah, there's the good thing about it is I think since you'll be slightly closer, um, and by slightly I mean considerably closer, mm-hmm. um, I think we'll actually get to see each other occasionally instead of yeah. once a year. So, <laughs> right. so that'll be nice. Yes, it will. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I was going to do some sort of update on how things have been with me as well, but there really isn't much to say. I'm working. <laughs> I'm working on uh, Beast of Whitehall pretty much nonstop. So. That's kind of my life right now, and it is um, a blast. I'm having a blast editing the movie and getting to piece it together by myself, which sounds weird. Like it's, <laughs> it sounds. I, I guess I'm a control freak or something because I just I really this is what I've always wanted uh, when it comes to this, to putting a story together is like it's it's the way I've always worked when I was writing, and it's it's the way I'm comfortable with the most, which is, you know, obviously not when I'm shooting the movie, I need nonstop help. And even afterward, but being able to sit and actually kind of put the story together, uh, has been a blast. Like I couldn't, I I couldn't ask for a better kind of solo experience than, Mm -hmm. than to sit down and piece the story together. It's been a lot of fun. It's, um, it's, it's interesting too, because it's a very, like Whitehall's, I th- I've said this before, but Whitehall's a very, I think it's a very personal kind of movie. And I think that's going to be reflected somewhat in the behind the scenes stuff we do and in the interviews as well. But it's a personal movie because I think it's, it comes down to just this, the main guy's story, you know, Brian's story of what mm-hmm. happened and how it affected him. And, um, but it also kind of reflects my experience with the story and I think it reflects Brandon's experience with the story and it's it's been a crazy trick bringing the story to to life too because it's I mean I started doing research on this when when we were still uh, finishing Minerva mm-hmm. and now we're at uh, December and uh, it's all filmed and everything but it's still knee deep in that and feeling it out and trying to figure out how everything fits together and it's it's just been a completely I guess it's a completely different experience from my experience with Minerva just mm-hmm. in that it's very I'm just extremely closely connected to it so yeah I have two questions oh okay um what has surprised you if anything about 
this process. I mean, like, as far as telling the story goes, without spoiling anything, of mm-hmm. course, but has anything sort of... You mean, like, something take- that clicked together in the story or or something where i was like whoa i didn't expect to really enjoy this or something like anything however you want um wherever you want to push that because i find it interesting i think what i was really worried about going into this was the final chapter of the movie because this as of right now with the rough cut it's a three chapter movie so we literally have chapter breaks where it's just chapter one chapter two chapter three mm-hmm. and i had always wanted to do that with minerva and we didn't do it so i i did it with this movie and um the final chapter is my favorite like by far which is weird because it's after we've already moved past a bear but um the opening scene of it the way the way that chapter opens is it just looks so good and mm-hmm. i don't know why this was but we just had a re- it was outdoors so we were still dealing with all the constraints of like you know crickets in the background i mean it is a sasswet movie it's going to feel to listeners of sasswet it's going to feel like a sasswet episode cuz there's crickets all through the movie cuz we <laughs> shot so much outside but um the yeah it's 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 just a beautiful scene and then it goes to like and i'm not saying that cuz of anything i did like cinematography wise i'm just saying where we shot them and the lens i used you couldn't screw up the shot it would have been Mm -hmm. impossible but there's also these it opens with some of the stuff i shot uh up by the hudson river and uh really cool looking drone shot that came together real well and then it ends on a on an it ends on an idea that i had had way back that kind of came together um during the course of editing it i just remembered this idea i had had and i was like let's end the movie with this and it's the ending is probably the fa- my favorite thing that I've ever done. Just like writing, creating anything. I just I think the last minute and a half, like uh, last minute and a half of the movie, uh, just came together ext- extremely well. And I really, really moody. It's like a really moody kind of thing too. It's not. It doesn't necessarily end on a really upbeat kind of note. Um, which was unusual too, because I'm I'm more of like a positive person, and I feel like in some ways the story might not be super positive, especially you know like one thing about Minerva, you watch it, you can watch it multiple times and take something away from it, and, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that we didn't have a narrator. Some of the stories kind of you know you're piecing it together yourself, like mm-hmm. you're the detective. That's less of a factor in Whitehall, <clears throat> but um, I. Th- think you'll take things away from it each time you watch it like different different kind of things and then the other thing i think that i learned that i loved about it was that i love short short form storytelling you know like it's not like i was telling you before we started recording it's not what i had originally thought it was going to be which was a 15 to 20 minute movie it's actually a lot longer than that but um it's still a shorter movie than minerva and i just i i love like making a movie where the story just flows like start finish you know and being able to figure out well we need this in here we don't need this you know kind of stuff and i don't know the whole thing has been honestly the whole thing just piecing the story together in in post has been probably one of my favorite things to have ever done and then the other thing that i i, I say this nonstop, but it, it happened again today i genuinely would buy a home on a bear road like right now i would drive i miss it like it is the weirdest thing i've never felt a connection to a single place so quickly like i do a bear road and it's really unusual um i don't i don't know i don't want to sound like i attribute that to i don't that's that's what i'm saying like i don't know what that is attributed to i i do really love the adirondacks and the way the you know the the scenery is down there and the mountains and all that. And that's beautiful. But I mean, it's not, you know, I've been to the Smokies and I think the Smokies are my favorite mountains. I love the Smokies. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's something weird about, not weird, but just something special about Avery Road that like calls me back. Like, I know that sounds hokey. That is absolutely 100%. Today I was sitting somewhere. I can't remember. It might've been a church this morning. (laughs) But I was sitting there and I thought to myself, uh, boy, I really miss that. Like I would Hmm. buy and I thought about how if I, you know, if I had the money, I would buy a second house on a bear road. (laughs) Like forget, you know, forget like a beach house. Like I would buy a house on a bear road. 
Um, so I don't know. That, you know what? That probably comes through in the film. I'm guessing. I hope. Yeah. Yeah. I hope yeah. so because it it really is a I mean a a beautiful landscape, um, a bear road. You're you know you got these fields that maybe that's what it is. It really reminds me of Bolivar where I grew up, mm-hmm. but it's also surrounded by mountains. You know, like you look you look in the immediate foreground and it looks like you're in Bolivar, Ohio, but beyond that, there's these mountains stretching into the distance, and it's just yeah. I guess I'm just maybe it's the like small town farm boy kind of thing in me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Not that I'm a farm boy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't anyway. associate that word with you, really. But. Uh, the other thing, you know, you kind of commented on it already, but it's just for my own knowledge, because you know far more about filmmaking than I do. But when it comes to editing a film, uh, doesn't the majority of the time that's one person? Because uh, it seems to me like editor by committee could get pretty... Yeah. I always I always call it storytelling by committee. Story by committee is dangerous is what Mm -hmm. I'm always concerned about. Um, I should I should mention that, though, is like something that surprised me is like sitting down with Brandon yesterday and having him say almost the exact same negative thing about the rough cut that I was thinking but didn't know how to verbalize. Uh, was extremely helpful because it made me say, okay, he sees it too. I just couldn't figure out. I, I wasn't placing my finger exactly on what it was that was lacking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but talking to him about that kind of fixed it. But yeah, I think, I do think it's usually like one person. Things were different back when it was actual film because there was a, actually someone that would cut <laughs> the film and kind of knew you know, the ins and outs of mm-hmm. frames, single frames and all that kind of stuff. But I, I do think a lot of the time it's just one or two people. And usually if it's two people, the the one person's there just to kind of do what the other guys kind of saying, at least that's my, mm-hmm. you know, but a lot of it does have to do with just like my, I guess my control freak side, which I, did, I, I guess I wasn't aware of until now, but I really, I have an idea of what I want and that's what I want. And, um, I'm not saying I'm right all the time because I definitely don't think I am. Um, but that has kind of been cemented for me while working on this, that this is the way I love to work. Like this is what I kind of want to be doing. I, all the story. The other thing about that though, is like all, a lot of these things are fleshed out before you even get into the editing room. So, you know, we're already having meetings about boggy Creek, not necessarily meeting solely about Boggy Creek, but when we have our Monday meetings or whenever we meet, we meet once a week. I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the show, but uh, Zach, uh, who's going to be doing cinematography on Boggy Creek Monster, and uh, Brandon and I will meet every single week, and we kind of talk about goals, what we need to be doing, who's doing what, where I'm at uh, with editing or press or whatever we're trying to get going. And then, you know, we kind of split off. But we've been throwing in meetings about Boggy Creek here and there. And last week, or maybe it was a couple of weeks ago, we had a conversation that I loved where it was solely, almost the entire conversation, the entire meeting was solely about Boggy Creek and, and story. Because it's a weird story to crack because everyone kind of knows about Boggy Creek. And, you know, our movies, especially this one, but obviously Minerva as well, they focus on one kind of character or one family or, you know, in that person's the heart of the movie. And how do you do that with Boggy? But obviously we will be able to. We just have to, you know, find out who that person is, who's our mm-hmm. heart of the story. And um, I have some ideas for that. But, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to take up 15 minutes of the show rambling about my movies. I know some people hate this stuff, so I don't want to... uh turn people off maybe we should we're 15 minutes in do you think we have time let's get george's letter in and then we're going to move on to this voicemail okay there we got our very first voicemail by the way mm-hmm. but let's go to this letter okay this is a letter from george from england and he writes a huge philadelphia eagles fan i spend my commute listening to nfl podcasts and Sasswat. last couple of weeks have been a huge disappointment for me in terms of the team i root for so in disgust, I looked for something else to listen to, and then I figured that I have only been downloading Sasswood since December 2014. I never got around to listening to anything previous to that. So I've just gone through a two-week kick of catching up on your original shows, and honestly, it has been a great experience not only listening to the podcast in its infancy, but also listening episode-by-episode episode insight on how the idea of the Minerva Monster documentary came to be. 
which, by the way, was a great documentary. Seth's excitement after talking to whom I presume to be Rebecca for the first time is hugely entertaining from the perspective of a third person who knows where this path will lead. And I encourage you both to go back and listen to those episodes if you have not done so recently. Anyway, I write this email, not to be read on the show, but just as a suggestion for yourselves and maybe your listeners to go back and listen to some episodes, even if they already have been downloading from the start. Then we read it on the show anyway. Yes. That's how we do. (laughs) That's how we roll. (laughs) Okay. Um, Then he says, I do, however, also have a question which maybe you can address at some point in the future. I've heard many times on documentaries and podcasts, researchers make the statement, that a body is needed in order to protect the species. Why would a species that people for half a century have failed to even prove its existence need protecting? Do you believe they are referring to the habitat or the cryptid itself? Anyway, thank you for taking the time to read this. Keep up the good work. George. Yeah, I think it comes down to the the habitat itself. And honestly, and I know there's a lot of people who would argue this, but I think most conservancy revolves around protecting a land or a habitat more so than one specific species or or creature in this case. And when it comes to, yeah, this is a good question. I said it right before the show to you that it is a good question because like I'm, you know, the NAWAC is all about conservancy and trying to protect the species and we haven't even proved that the species exists. I don't even believe I'm not a believer is what I should say. Not that I think there's no way these things exist but i'm not a believer um i'm in my opinion though just because we don't know for a fact uh the species doesn't exist doesn't mean that there isn't like a danger to habitat you know especially forested habitat across the country and across the world and that was really brought home for me when i was in uh interestingly enough um a lot of the woods right outside of Falk have been clear cut. And I was, you know, Lyle had told me there hadn't been any sighting reports since I think May or something like that of last year. And I thought that was curious because all this clear cutting is also going on outside of. So I think it's a habitat thing. Um, And I know it seems silly, the idea of protecting uh, a species that doesn't need, you know, that, that hasn't even been discovered. But I think that's what I'm trying to do is kind of explain to you where I think groups like the NAWAC are coming from when they come at it from a conservancy angle. I think it's protecting that habitat so that any creature I think that lives in that area should, you know, have a have a place to call home, a place to raise their tiny, furry, young, mind-speaking young. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's an entirely rhetorical question, but... You know, how, what can we possibly do, assuming that these are real creatures, what can we do to protect them, actually? Because they seem to have been doing a pretty good job of it so far. I mean, that, as far as I know, there hasn't been a rash of Bigfoot killings. Now, mm-hmm. maybe there they have. It's all oh, the government. Up and the government's so covering it up, yeah. Um, it's in the black book. Okay. <laughs> I suspected that. But you know what I mean? It's just, uh, I think on one hand, I mean, people who would say we want to conserve the species, and Seth, you know, you're you're very, you know, you're much closer to that than I am. Mm -hmm. I think on one hand, they do sincerely want to make sure that, you know, this, they don't become game for hunters or what have you. And I, I, you know, I, I think my standpoint on that, as you can tell, is I don't think they are in any danger of us. You know, as even with our weaponry, uh, they seem to do an awfully good job of evading us as it is. Right. Um, But I do think that there are many people who sincerely want to enact some sort of protection for the species. Um, But I think you're also right in saying that it is an environmental thing. um, And it makes sense uh, that that needs to be a place where nature can just be nature. And I think just about anybody would agree that that's worthy right this is not this is something that drives me crazy is like the political or i guess the politicizing of of conservancy in general Mm -hmm. because i grew up in a very conservative family who was also deeply involved in 
Conservancy because of the fact that my parents were, you know, very into the Civil War and were Civil War buffs. And they were part of these groups that did everything they could to conserve and preserve uh, historic landmarks and Civil War battlefields and that kind of thing. I don't think this is any, honestly, I don't think this is that different from from that. You know, it's it's a preservation of something. In my opinion, it's preservation of habitat um, for animals in Mm -hmm. general and for nature. Preservation of nature, a Seth yeah. Breedlove story. <laughs> that's uh, <pretty>. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's my autobiography. Actually, that's nice little spoiler alert. Where so, Bigfoot walks to. <laughs> I wish. Oh my gosh, uh, we got a uh, voicemail which we've never gotten, and it sparked a, a, an idea. And I think Mark and I have talked about doing this before, but we wanted to talk about Bigfoot. In uh, the UK, in general, kind of the, you know, everything. This is a subject that fascinates me, uh, just because, you know, the idea of of Bigfoot-type creatures kind of roaming the, you know, these Parisian countryside and, you know, London streets, um, (laughs) foggy old London streets, um, kind of kind of uh tickles my fancy in a way so i wanted to t- i wanted to talk about it and this guy gave us this voicemail now here's the, here's the truth this is a very long voicemail if i remember right i think it's like 14 minutes and when when i got it i was at my day job so i only listened to a short period of it so I, i'm gonna start playing it and if i feel like it's getting off track i'm, I'm definitely gonna try to skip around a little bit and maybe hit some of the key points. Do you remember any key points here that I need to hit or is it all when he talks about his own experience? I think that's where's that at. That's fairly near the beginning. Okay. That's what I thought. All right. So we're definitely going to hit the beginning. Maybe I'll cut it after that. And we'll, we'll kind of, all right. So here we go. We're going to, we're going to turn this on. This was a voicemail from a listener named Phil. So thanks for the voicemail, Phil. And thanks for taking the time. All right. I'm going to play this now. Hey guys. Uh, firstly, apologies, I've uh, got my little one in the background. Just been listening to a couple of podcasts. Um, my name's Phil, I'm from the UK, um, and I am an expert Bigfoot hunter. No, I'm fucking with you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I was just going to ask her, alright, calm down. I was just about to do a couple of, um, um, mails, and, um, I'll just, out of pure curiosity, um, I've listened to uh, Wes's show um, from start to finish, and I'm just getting that halfway through yours. Um, well, not halfway. I'm, I'm working my way through yours. Um, so, I have, I've experienced something um, that wasn't a Sasquatch, that is bipedal, that is in very heavy footsteps, and um, I think I know what it is. And you're going to laugh, <laughs> but do you know what? An ostrich. I'm over here in the UK, where I was hunting one day when I was about 12, 13, with my father, and um, we were in a very, very uh, dense um, part of um, Tring. Um, by the two um, reservoirs, and um, not that I knew this afterwards, but thinking back upon that that day, many, many, many months and months and years thinking about it, I decided to do a little bit of research, and there was actually an ostrich farm um, <laughs> about three or four miles away from the actual location, which was the Beacon, which is a very a long ridgeway um, type affair. <clears throat> But yeah, just to give you, well, I, I assume it is, because let's be fair and let's be frank, um, saying that there could be Bigfoot in the US um, is a lot more um, believable and sustainable than it is to say that there's Bigfoot here in the UK. I'm not, uh, I'm not bashing anyone here in the UK who thinks they've seen a Bigfoot because they might well have seen a Bigfoot, but in all honesty, um, oh, that's very hard. In all honesty, um, the likelihood of it of, of it being over here and being able to survive and 
even even more than that, being able to survive and being able to survive undetected, he is, well, let's be frank, you know, stranger things have happened in nature, don't get me wrong, but the likelihood of it is, is much less than the likelihood of it being over where you are. Yeah, I think he is, is kind of parroting what I would say as well, which might be I think I think it's what most people say. Should I go beyond this? Is there anything beyond there that we need to get in here right now? That's good. Ostrich. So, um, of all the explanations for a Bigfoot sighting that I have ever heard, I've never heard anyone talk about ostriches. But it it brought something to mind completely unrelated to the UK. Um, but when we were in, I think I've talked about it on the show, but when we were in the Smokies a couple of years ago, we heard these weird, like what sounded like monkey chatter and, uh, I couldn't figure out what it was and it turned out it was peacock. It's a peacock. So mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, peacock, ostrich, bipedal footsteps being attributed to an ostrich. That's a, that's a, that's a fascinating thing. Yeah. And in the fact that. In that uh, experience that he had, was he saying that he heard the footfalls and uh, and that was the, you know, they were near Ostrich Farm and therefore he... I think that's, I think that was the deal unless he's actually saying there's like a cryptid hidden species of ostrich, you know, running around in the UK. Which is equally a cool idea, I yeah. think, you know, that's, that's its own uh, thing, but... I mean, from an explanatory standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you've, people who claim to very definitively hear bipedal footsteps without seeing anything, mm-hmm. that's as good a explanation, I would guess, as, as any. I mean, it, uh, you'd have the, the weight necessary to make that sort of sound in the woods. So it's, I mean, I'm with you. I've never heard that as a... You know, as a possibility before. Um, I'm I'm using my old friend uh, Wikipedia just to look <laughs> up some random stats on forestry in the United Kingdom. Um, let me see. It's it's giving me these statistics nowadays. About twelve point nine percent of Britain's land surface is wooded, and this area is increasing. The country's supply of timber was severely depleted during the First and Second World Wars when imports were difficult and the forested area bottomed out at around 5% of Britain's land service in 1999. That year, the Forestry Commission was established, blah, blah, blah. Other European countries averaged from 25% to 37% of their area as woodland. Of the 31,380 square kilometers of forest in Britain, around 30% is publicly owned and 70% is in the private sector. More than 40,000, blah, 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 a lot of nonsense. Um... So there we go. Twelve point. What did I say? Twelve point nine percent of Britain, but in other areas, you're looking at a much higher percentage of wooded area. But I'd be fascinated to see like how big those. You know, I mean, it's giving us these statistics. But see, I picture things like Great Britain, and I'm I'm seeing rolling hills and thatch roof cottages, and mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Miss Marple on a train. Yeah, solving murder mysteries with uh, Inspector Poirot or something. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm horribly brought up on BBC <laughs> documentary. Masterpiece theater. Yeah, masterpiece theater. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I and this is something that as I was doing my minuscule amount of research for the show, I was also brought to my attention that I know nothing about the UK or uh, about Bigfoot sightings in the UK. I've never really looked into it. Mm -hmm. And now I'm kind of fascinated by it, mostly because I think that if you want a really good kind of uh, test subject for, for the idea of like the wild man as a part of some sort of psychological reaction to you know, modern times and being out of the woods, uh, it would be over there because they are having reports. I mean, people are seeing seeing things in the woods, um, but what are they seeing? Because it does seem highly unbelievable that a an undiscovered species of ape is running around the forests mm-hmm. of Great Britain. Now, I 
assume that these sightings are taking place <coughs> in the north rather than the south? I mean, but I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of starting at square one also in mm. researching UK reports. I, I guess I'm just under the assumption that, you know, a lot of your civilized areas are in the south and the further north you go, I think the better your chances of seeing something unexplained. Have you um, been be true. over there ever? No. no mm-hmm. Neither have I. I changed planes in Paris one time, but that's not necessarily what we're talking about here. No. Um, now, I did find a fantastic story that I sent you a, a, a link to um, that claims to have discovered proof of Bigfoot, um, and now I've lost it somehow. Darn it. That's typical. Well, there's a, a photo. We both uh, we both looked at it, I believe, mm-hmm. of, a, of a possible Bigfoot creature taken by a man named, I think it was like Adam Green. Is that, does that sound right? Yeah, I'm getting it here. Okay. It was, yeah, weird news. Yeah, Bigfoot. Adam Bird. Adam Bird, real close. Um, he had a sighting in a forest, Lincolnshire Woods, um, claimed to be a mystery beast. Bigfoot enthusiast Adam Bird, who captured the image, claims it could be the most convincing evidence yet that Britain is home to the mythical beast. And um, I see a photo of what could be literally anything. It could right. be a, an Ewok. Um, <laughs> could be Chewbacca. It's it's very unclear what is standing in the distance in this it photo. It does look like an Ewok. Now that you said, yeah, that was the first time I saw it. I was like, <laughs> that, that looks a lot more like Wicket um, than it does anything. I mean, huh. it, it it is kind of. It almost looks like a cloaked, like someone in a cloak, hmm. which, in my opinion, would probably be fitting for. For for the UK, for England, you know, for the for the Bigfoot to wear some sort of cloak, maybe carry a sword. <laughs> <laughs> I was Possibly. thinking more of a like a Merlin? Sherlock Holmes hat, oh, okay, or a magnifying Merlin. glass. Yeah. The interesting thing about this picture is that uh, he did not claim to see what is in that picture at the time that he took the photograph. It was mm-hmm. afterwards, I guess, looking at the exposures. It it also that there was quote you know something there. I mean, it could also be a case of paradelia, because mm-hmm. um, I mean, just in looking at this, there it, it's very possible that that is a tree branch and some sort of weird shadow. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's nothing definitively sta- like showing me that this is a person or a, you know any kind of right. living object standing in the distance. Um, there is also I found video online. Nothing, nothing I could find in the way of evidence seemed to lead me to believe that that you know there's anything over there. But then again, I've never really seen video that would definitively lead me to believe there's anything here either, other than something like the PGF. So, mm. um, what do you know about Bigfoot in the UK? Well, I'd like to go back to what you were kind of introducing just a couple minutes ago, and that was sort of the, I guess, the social underpinnings of why England is so interesting as mm-hmm. a test case, because I, I think there that is really where the riches lie in terms of UK Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we um, got to hear Dr. David Floyd do a presentation where he incorporated some of this information about, uh, you know, the, the roots in Western thought about Bigfoot, and a lot of that centered in the UK. I mean, pre-1800s, there's so much that is there in terms of literature and artwork and even architecture in buildings like cathedrals that are suggestive of the hairy man as well as the green man legends. And those are, you know, those are very firmly United Kingdom-based stories. So that's, I think that's sort of the, Really intriguing point there is trying to, you know, sort of the old conundrum is, did were those stories invented to explain something else, or were they suggested by things that people actually encountered in the wild? Uh, you can sort of spin around on that one for quite some time. Yeah, and you have this ancient, not ancient, but extremely long history of humanity residing in this place. This isn't 
mm-hmm. necessarily like here where, <clears throat> you know, you've got the pilgrims and the Native Americans that were here, but this is thousands of years of history of, you know, civilization in a place. Um, so how much does that play into it? Because it, like you said, there's the wood woes and all that stuff that goes back decades and centuries uh, into the past. And, and is that tied into it? The other thing is that obviously the England especially uh, has this ongoing phenomenon of like, I mean, and not, not one phenomenon, but there's a lot that goes on in England. There's, there's constant UFO reports. There's black cat reports, which correlates to the, to the Bigfoot kind of, you know, there's all that stuff going on over there. So is that all psychological? I mean, I know this is getting into like the big questions, but Mm -hmm. like how much does, does the long history of civilization in this area play into that? Certainly, I think that the England as a place, as you've, as you've mentioned, and sort of the uh, history, the, the deep history that's there, has to factor in to this. And, you know, to reference Dr. Floyd again, he really goes in depth in talking about how the green man and the, the hairy man figures function as sort of, uh, in a, a number of ways, one of which is sort of a cautionary tale. Um, you know, the type that you would tell children, you don't go out or, you know, past the fire, you know, the light of the fire or, you know, something unknown can grab you and take you away. But it goes deeper than that, actually. And um, there are linkages there even to the Christian history of the United Kingdom, where the wild man is seen as an emblem almost of, of human nature apart from civilization, and he talked a lot about that idea that the the wild man came to symbolize you know what happens to human nature outside of the scope of the church and civilization, which for a time in England were pretty much inextricably linked to each other. So you would get stories of you know the wild man coming near civilization and making off with a fair maiden, you know, and the 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 woman being not just uh, an unfortunate uh, abductee, but symbolizing, uh, you know, virtue and goodness and uh, ideals in certain uh, times and culture. And uh, that this, if you don't suppress the wild man within, you know, you can end up like that wild man. And what generally happens in many of these stories is that they're hunted down or they just, um, you know, it becomes a a type of uh, spiritual cautionary tale which is you know i think today when we when people talk about bigfoot they generally do so divorced from some type of spiritual underpinning and if people do bring spirituality into it um again generally speaking people don't want anything to do with that whatsoever but in the history of the uk anyway uh, you really can't talk about wild man without talking about the uh you know, sort of the spiritual nature of this. And I think in in Dr. Floyd's presentation, then, he kind of links that to uh, ideas of Native American spirituality, and maybe there's some parallels there as well. I'm I'm trying to find, like, some some sort of historical sightings. Like, I mean, obviously, we're talking entirely about historical sightings, you know, in in the case of the Woodwows and all that, but are there sighting reports in the paper, like Wild Man reports, in America, uh, are there sighting reports that go back to the 1800s and 1700s, or how does that work? And I'm seeing nothing. In fact, the most re- the the oldest I've come across so far is, uh, uh, and just as I say this, I found this. Uh, but the first account of a man beast in the area dates from way back in 1879, when a creature described as being half man and half monkey was seen on a lonely stretch of road. At the town of Ranton, which is situated only a few miles from where the Kennock Chase stands. Um, that name is familiar, Kennock Chase. This is, I'm pulling this information from an article by Nick Redfern, of course, on Cryptomundo. So I am just wholesale stealing this. But hopefully people understand that I, I know literally nothing about Bigfoot in the UK and Bigfoot sighting reports in the UK. So we're all kind of learning together, I think. Um, I think a lot of people probably have never bothered to 
to really explore this. Mm-hmm. I know I know I haven't. In fact, I've always kind of chuckled at the idea. But when I started, you know, actually thinking about this episode, it does there is something fascinating about it. You know, like you think of like Sherwood Forest, which is a real place, and there are Bigfoot reports in Sherwood Forest. But then I look on Google Earth and Sherwood Forest is a tiny stretch of forest. I mean, mm-hmm. minuscule stretch of forest that I'm looking at this thing on a map and I'm like, how, where are they hiding? Like if they're, unless they're just hanging out 10 feet off a road, um, you know, somehow there's a breeding colony in there. It doesn't, none of it makes sense Mm -hmm. to me. Like from a logical perspective, the idea of Bigfoot in the UK doesn't work as, as I can see it. But I'm curious to know what someone other than our, our voicemailer, um, who is less skeptical, I'm curious to know what their, you know, what their side of the story is. Why do they believe they could be there unless they're just wholesale saying that this is a paranormal thing? Um, I could really see the idea of like a paranormal Bigfoot taking off in the UK because there's no, to, to, to for just from my two days of looking at these reports and stuff, there's nothing, no sort of rational explanation I can see for it. Um, short of something like cave systems or something like that, but I don't even think that, is that a huge deal over there, caves? I don't know. Yeah. I think, yeah, I, you know, I tend to think of it also in more mythological terms than biological. In any event, I mean, you would have to say, even if it is a flesh and blood creature, there'd have to be far less than may mm-hmm. exist, you know, in North America, for example. Just, it would be far more rare. This article, by the way, is is fascinating. It's on Cryptomundo, written by... Uh, Nick Redfern, and he's just talking about this history of weirdness in this area called Canic Chase, which includes things like big cats, like I said. And that is uh, oh, ghostly black dog. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm down for that. Do you think the yeah. black dog and the black cats fight? <laughs> like I think royal... it's just a chase, probably. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to locate more information on this stuff as we're going along, but they're really there just isn't a lot, and and honestly, um, from from that episode of Finding Bigfoot, the experts on that show uh, also seem to come away from it that that was a little that's supposed to be a little sarcastic slash ironic experts. Um, the experts Air on quotes. that show, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the the experts on that show came away from it seemingly believing that there probably wasn't much to the Bigfoot legends over there as well. I do seem to remember they got some sort of weird scream or call. Now, the idea of black cats in the UK, I can go along with. Why not? Like, I guess, I guess the why. <laughs> I mean, because they're both, seriously, like black cats mm-hmm. are supposed to be these huge kind of maybe predatory in a way. Uh, felines, how's that different from a, well, I guess it's very different from eight foot tall, upright walking hair covered creature. I guess it really just comes down to, I don't believe there's any place for them to go. I think they're, I think they're just kind of hanging out and the sighting reports I'm seeing are very vague. Um, usually someone sees a shadow move behind something. There's no, that I've seen, there's no really clear, um, you know, sighting reports. Now I'm sure someone can contradict me with this did you look up sighting reports at all i tried to but i kind of had the same experience that you did that there didn't there's certainly uh, that i could find is not like a catalog of sighting reports like you would find in north america Mm -hmm. if there is i haven't run across it um and a lot of it seems to be very circumstantial Mm -hmm. i would venture to guess i mean just taking a stab at it that in the UK, you'd you'd far more of the reports would happen around an area or like a, a distinct place on the map where Bigfoot would be just one of a host of unexplained phenomena taking place. It just seems to me, in you know what I do know about British Isles and so forth, it seems like you know you it's not just an isolated sighting of. A black dog or a black cat or or Bigfoot or even 
poltergeist type activity that, that they seem to all sort of erupt in one place. All this weirdness happens, you know, in a, a given location. So I don't know if that, um, you know, I, I mean, the other thing that I did discover in doing just a little bit of research is that there are uh, Bigfoot researchers or, you know, in England or people who at the very least go to investigate sightings and kind of post <laughs> their findings. Yeah. And, uh, so I don't know if that's like uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking that at art imitating life or what. I mean, we sort of have talked about that in an American context, but how recently is it that people have started to quote unquote field research Bigfoot in the UK? That would be kind of an interesting question in itself. Check your check your phone right now. I just yep. sent you a fantastic article that gives exactly what you're talking about. Um, and this is, I'm not going to give the, cause I'm about to poke fun, but there, there's literally a picture of two people sitting by a fire and it kind of looks like they're on a family camp out mm-hmm. and this is, this is the field work. And I guess, geez, <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't even poke fun at that, honestly. Cause like what else, what else, I mean, that's part of the fun of going out, I guess, is to sure it is. Yeah. get a fire going and hang out. But the, there's there. I'm assuming there probably isn't a ton of serious um, researchers in the UK, like actually actively out there with FLIR equipment and all that kind of stuff who go mm-hmm. out, you know, basically like a BFRO organization in the UK. Um, so what does that say as well? You know, mm-hmm. I'm amazed actually that the BFRO hasn't franchised their way over to, you know, over to the UK. Mm-hmm. They got to be working on it, right? I would think so. I mean, this kind of stuff, I think, is just going to multiply. Yeah. So why not? <laughs> it's because uh, it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, if there is something there, you, wouldn't you think that your chances of actually finding something would be better because it's smaller? It's Does tiny. That make sense. Yeah. I mean, and, and the, those stretches of forest are, are minuscule. I mean, they're you're talking acreage, like a few acres of mm-hmm. forested area. Um, and then I'm sure there's patches that run further than that, but you're not looking at, <clears throat> I don't, I didn't even see anything when I was looking that was like comparable to CVNP. Mm-hmm. Um, I did, I, I, as I'm saying this, I did notice there's a, <laughs> a Wikipedia page for, um, actual like forests list of forests in the United Kingdom. Let me see. Maybe this, maybe this will give us some sort of acreage. I'm looking, you know, like the other thing is when you're, when you're looking at a map, it's difficult to tell, you know, how big anything is. I can't cause, cause the maps are so kind of laid out weirdly here. Epping forest. I, I the one thing I will say is these, these people know how to name stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, like this is this is a big forest, <clears throat> Epping, and it covers uh, six thousand acres, and that's that's a massive forest, I guess. There, kind of. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's this is called Forest of Marston Vale, and that sounds like a location. There isn't even a tree. I literally don't see a single tree in this photo. Thirty mm. percent um, tree cover. I wonder what that means. It covers one mile. So I mean we're just we're just dealing with smaller pockets of forested cover. Is there enough to logically hide you know undiscovered primate? That's mm-hmm. the question. And if you're in the UK and I'm sure and I hope cuz I know we have a lot of listeners in the UK. I hope you can set us straight on this right in. Let us know that you believe there could be hundreds of Bigfoots hiding out in the tree cover of the United Kingdom. But um I don't know what else to say about the subject, to be honest with you, because right now I, I don't know enough about it. And from the research I've managed to do, I'm not seeing anything that leads me to believe there's a lot to this. I think we need to rely on our UK listeners who have proven themselves to be pretty active mm-hmm. to help educate us because we, you know, we really want to know. It's, yeah. it's a great, great story with a huge, deep background to it so enlighten us please 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 do and if you're a united states listener who has a uh, opinion on this you can write in as well and probably just echo what we're saying or or you know not whatever your opinion is feel free um final final thoughts on uk 
Sasquatch. I really appreciate the fact that there is this very, very involved history with the green man, hairy man, Woodwos. Uh, it gives, as we've talked about, you know, the people who take uh, the whole Bigfoot subject really from more of a psychological or sociological standpoint, there's a lot of grist for the mill there and a lot of uh, thoughtful reflection to be had in really trying to get to the bottom of this because that is just this long-standing uh, sort of debate. And, you know, anybody listening to this podcast, I'm sure, is well familiar with it. You know, the flesh-and-blood creature, paranormal, or is it some sort of uh, relic thought that human beings have that we can't help but see some figure that embodies certain values? Uh, with, and, you know, pick any one of those, and that's just a, sort of a mind-blowing thought experiment to have. Um, if it's an ex, uh, you know, a combination of those things... Um, but I, I think that uh, England is a place, you know, if we're going to get any answers to this, it seems to be a very rich possibility that the UK is going to help us get there. Join the conversation at facebook.com slash sasswhat. Find us on Twitter by using the hashtag sasswhat, or you can find me on Twitter at Seth Breeds Love. Mark Matsky is on Twitter at Reverend Matsky. Send your letters to sasswhatmail at gmail.com and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Mm-hmm.